This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Military Veteran Dad. Before we get in diving into this week's episode, I just want to take a minute to tell a little bit of story about my what my last week was like. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you saw my daily post about it where I was blogging about what each day was like. But for a little bit of background, a few months ago, my wife was offered an opportunity from school to go to China. They have a sister school in China with this school district here, and they exchange teachers often throughout the year. And so my wife with six other teachers went to China, Shanghai in particular, for nine days. She's coming back today as I record this episode, and today is day nine, and I took vacation this week so that I could make sure that I was with my kids, and it was also my insurance policy to make sure I survived. But at the end of the day, each day had its own lessons, and it was a little bit like anything we start in the military or really anything you start in life. There's go- The growing pains you go through in the beginning are exhausting. The growing pains want to give up. You're like, this is just too much, and is it worth it? But like everything, once you start going through it, getting confidence in what you're doing, doing it repetitive each day, shortcutting a few things where you learn different ways to do it, it all eventually kind of gets starts to get easier. And each day, it wasn't probably till day five, I believe, as if I remember correctly, where I really felt like I was starting to hit my stride. Day four was a low point. I felt like I was just beat at the end of that day. But then even just day five, one day in, in ahead, I had already felt like I had more confidence than day four. And on day nine, I feel like I could go another week almost. On day two, I did not feel like I could go another week. And there's a couple things that I've really focused on and was reflecting on throughout the week is that this week that I just did with my kids, where it was just me and them, it was all on me to make everything happen. My kids had summer school. My youngest was still home, so she was still with me most of the day. We had to pick them up, we had to drop them off, and we had to keep them entertained. We had to do stuff outside. Lots of things went on this week. And when I'm 50, looking back on this week, I'm positive this will be one of the highlights that I always reflect back on of that was a good week type memory. And I'm really proud of myself for being intentional, making sure I took vacation, not trying to focus on work and end this time. And really recognizing how rare of an opportunity this was for me to step into their life fully and be dad 100%. And it also made me realize that lean into what your kids want you to do. Because 
early in the week, I had all of these high adventures in my head, all these grandiose ideas of what I wanted to do. And then I was getting so frustrated that they wouldn't happen because the kids weren't doing what they wanted. They weren't doing what they needed to do. And it was just chaos daily. And I'm like, we're not getting where we need to go. And the weather wasn't very nice, so I had to let go of a lot of pool days that I wanted to do. I really had this picture at perfect idea of what usually is for my wife in the summer where they get to go to the pool every day. It's always perfect. There's rainbows. There's unicorns. There were no rainbows or unicorns this week. We did get to go to the pool once, but it was 75 and cloudy, so I really just kind of sucked it up. And But it was still a good memory. And just lean into what they want to do because often what – I want to do is more complicated and what they want to do is very simplistic and it's usually what's going to make them happy. So that was a big takeaway as I went through the week is just continue to lean in what they wanted to do versus what I had expectations for what I wanted to do, which then also created a whole bunch of disappointment at the end of the day when I was reflecting and blogging on the day. The other part that was the, probably the biggest takeaway from the entire week, and it was a reflection for my on my wife of what she does when I'm traveling especially during school, what she goes through through school. She shared a blog post with me a while back that said teachers make about a thousand decisions a day in their classroom. And honestly, as I have been a single dad all week for nine days, it is the decision-making that I feel most mentally exhausted for. Between the punishments, the keeping track of the punishments you issued, keeping track that they're following through in the punishments, keeping track of what you're trying to do, keeping track of what's the next two things you have to have moving ahead. Be is it dinner? Is it getting the kids' bath ready? Is it almost bedtime? Or is making sure you have all three? There was a couple of times where my daughter went inside to go potty and I didn't know that and I was trying to find her. Those decisions is actually what I think was the most exhausting throughout the entire week. So when my wife comes home today, this will be something that I try to focus on to try to work on eliminating many of the decisions that we don't need to have in place every day and just have them more on autopilot or at least have a discussion about them so they're not such a an ordeal of a decision. Because sometimes like there were, there was days where I would give out a punishment two hours later, I couldn't even remember what I did or what the punishment was. Or I would just forget that I gave the punishment and then almost give out a reward for some other behavior and cancel out my punishment that I gave in the beginning. That those decisions is, I think, what ultimately what our wives go through every day, whether they stay at home, whether they're, they go to work. Those decisions are really the part that I think as husbands, we can do more to help facilitate some of that decision making. I feel like, I know for myself, I've stepped away from some decisions. Like sometimes I'm exhausted from decisions from work. So I'm like, I don't, I'm tired of making decisions. But after doing this week, I really don't have a right to say I'm tired of making decisions because in comparison, it's not even close to the exhaustion you feel when you have three bodies constantly calling daddy, 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 daddy. And you're trying to figure out what to do next, or you're just trying to finish the task. Outside, we... We had uh, some dirt delivered on Monday, so we had some dirt operations going on outside. My son was in paradise, and we got a flower bed dug, and we got some flowers planted in it. But that was mostly chaos, trying to get that done and orchestrated and keep the kids all happy and keep my daughter napping. And some days we didn't take a nap, and then it was all hot and spiced the rest of the day, and she was just ornery, and she was gonna, you were going to find out if it wasn't her way, and she was going to throw a fit to make sure you knew that that's not what she wanted. All of those things were fun. Like my son in the flower bed, those are things that 
I love doing with him and he was very into it and him and dirt are, he's, he's in his paradise when he's in dirt. But that still was, that was, there was multiple decisions. Even if my wife was home, that would have been a pretty big project to do. I would have done it by myself. My wife would have kept the house going and I would have been outside focusing on the, on the flower bed. Well, when you're by yourself, there's nobody to keep the house going. So when you're out there gardening and no one's switching the laundry, no one's getting dinner ready, no one's cleaning the house after the kids destroyed it. These are things that wear you out because your brain's constantly thinking about them or maybe not thinking about them, but subconsciously you maybe are. But really pause and reflect on how decision-making plays out in your spouse's world. And if you're a spouse and maybe your dad stays home, these are words that go both ways. That when you have a family, decision-making, in my opinion, is one of the things that is the most exhaustion um, of my nine days in the R&D lab of being a dad. And I am looking forward to bringing more insights as I dig into more episodes with uh, more fathers on the podcast of what this nine days has taught me and different ways that I now look at my life going forward. I know that this week was an also a testament to what we often talk about on the podcast, which is legacy. And that legacy is really in our kids, that that's really where we have the best chance. And I know the nine days that I spent with my kids, I made a bigger impact on their life than I will ever imagine. And they're all old enough, maybe except my youngest, who's three, um, who we just had a birthday party yesterday for us. So we also had that to work through and manage and try to have a birthday day for her, that this will be a week that they remember and talk about well into the future. And I got lots of pictures of it. I documented most of it. So anytime there's usually pictures, the kids always remember it because they'll see the pictures. These are things that... I'm going to remember forever and they're going to remember forever. And these are memories that they're going to take into their own life and remember of who they wanted to be as a mom and dad to show up for their kids. And that's really where we start to make generational type changes in our society is when we focus on the best place to start, which is our kids, because our kids can go out into the world and do amazing things. And if we give them the right tools, mindsets, stories, and just memories to hold on to, the right set of memories to hold on to, they're going to do amazing things. It's so easy to get caught up in being frustrated with the way society is ran today. But really, you can't get frustrated about it, but there's really not much you can do about it unless you're in a position that you can. And if you can't, the best place to spend that time is with your kids because they are the best chance we have to turn the tide on some of the societal issues we have within the familyhood and fatherhood and military family life, this is where we have the ability to make that real change that we talk about so often, but very few people actually get a chance to move the needle. And I confirmed for this week in my heart that that needle is in the working with our kids. And if you want to catch up on my blog post, you can either friend me on Facebook or you can also join the Military Veteran Dad Facebook group because I was sharing my blog and the pictures in there if you want to get to know me more. Pretty much you would get an in-depth view of my world for the last nine days. I was very detailed in most of the days. I did it at like about 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock each day. I was exhausted each day, but it was good reflecting. And I'd never done anything like that. And one thing that I really enjoyed about the process was reflecting on the positive, but then also the negative and then reflecting on how do I want to do it differently tomorrow? It's a question I've heard, but I really never implemented that advice. And at the end of every post, I would try to pause, okay, what am I looking forward to tomorrow? 
And that allowed me really to stay motivated and not get too in a funk and go to bed and reset for the next day and really just start over again and try better. That each day I was trying to be 1% better than the day before. And this is where we make the biggest chance of our legacy to work. So it really was just a good process for me to reflect and keep going through nine days of being a single dad. And the longest I had done before is four days and I had worked the last time I did it. So it wasn't as intense um, of a day. So this was the first time I did nine days as a single dad and I'll never regret it. I'll try to look forward to more of these types of memories and hopefully I'll be able to make more freedom in my life to make more types of memories like this to happen in the summer because my heart is filled, my passion is full, and I'm ready to bring more dads home with this podcast. And without further ado, let's get started with James Royer on today's episode. Today's guest joined the Army in 2003. At the age of 28 years old, right up until February of 2017, he got out. He married his wife in, in South Korea during leave from a tour in Kuwait. His family has grown and now has two boys, ages eight and four, struggling during the transition process out as one of the hardest periods of his life. He found a job in IT, and he's now transitioning as a background investigator. He has learned to be a dad on his own more than most with his wife being a flight attendant. Working through being a dad with two young kids continues to be a challenge, but he is committed to grow, growing through it. He is lifting everything up and moving to D.C. for his new job and looking forward to the roads ahead. Jason, welcome to the show today. Doing well, doing well. Thank you. Go ahead and a little bit add a little bit what more your family looks like right now and any gaps into that intro. No, uh, yeah, I was a human resource in the military, of course, as you mentioned, I got out in 2017, and uh, just found transition to be extremely difficult when I get out, when I got out, especially uh, finding a job in human resources, which is what I did in the military, and uh, which is why I learned IT. And then, uh, yeah, as you mentioned- Was it the job, or did you have like a mental game to work through, of just working through it, your it's head? Just, employers don't feel that my job in the military is the same as the inside. So uh, I had a bunch of robots in uh, human resources, and I, I developed a bunch of skills in HR. But uh, just I, combined with my age, I, I got out at 41 years old, and I had been in the military so long. I couldn't find a job. It took me about uh, 14 or 15 months. Mm -hmm. I had to relearn a new skill. I had to learn IT. I got hired in IT as a systems administrator uh, for the Navy. Contract. What was the trigger that, uh, or what started triggering in your heart to, to leave the military? Um, I had a back injury in Korea, so they didn't give me a choice. <laughs> they med medically retired me because my, my back was out. And I could barely walk, and I was hospitalized. And this is back during sequestration. I don't know if you know what sequestration oh, yeah. They cut the budget, so they were just pushing people out. You had one little injury, bye. Uh, but luckily, they retired me, so I got a nice little pension out of it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they didn't give me a choice. <laughs> I would have stayed the 20 if I would have had a choice. So they gave you a soft landing, but you still had to walk the road by yourself on the way out. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. And then did you get, you were stationed in South Korea when they discharged you? I was stationed in South Korea. They sent me back to uh, the U.S. for about eight months to uh, finalize my discharge. So I came to Fort Belvoir, Virginia. It took eight uh, months to finalize your discharge? Yes. It's much easier to get in than get out, believe it or not. Even when they want to fire you, it's much harder to get out and get in, you just sign a document. When I can say maybe eight months if you're trying to convince them you want to be right. <laughs> No, you got to go to a medical appointment. But if they're holding you're holding your hand on the way out, like here's the door, like you'd think they'd be able to walk you a little quicker to it. No, no, no. 
Well, I was getting medical retired too. So they had to check my medical condition. I had to go to a bunch of appointments and they had to determine my pension and my, the VA side, what they were going to pay me on. It took about eight months before I finally uh, was discharged. Crazy. Yeah, so did you, got, you had kids when your kids were born while you served then, right? Yeah. Correct. My uh, firstborn was born in uh, 2011 in South Korea during my second tour there. And then my uh, most recent son, uh, the four-year-old, he was born at Walter Reed in Maryland when I was stationed over at Joint Base. Were you at Camp Humphreys in Korea? I was not. I was up in Yongsan. Yongsan? I closed that. I believe they closed that now. Uh, I've been is that by Seoul or where was where is that? Downtown Seoul. Ah, uh, because I I, w- I was in station in Okinawa and I did four deployments to Korea for ROS and I in August and then two uh, Archie Flocus UFLs or no other way around two are two of the ones in February and uh, Archie Flocus lens is in the summer. August. Yeah, yeah. It's August. So I did three. Of the, I did two two each. I think I said two in the winter, two in the summer. And uh, I actually liked Korea. I felt more home in Korea than I did in Okinawa because yeah. I felt like Korea was like America. They just didn't speak English. Yeah, Korea was great. Yeah. They, they have the same kind of personalities, the same kind of can-do attitude, mm-hmm. the same kind of uh, intensity to life. Okinawans move at a very slow pace. Like a good analogy I always describe it with is in Okinawa, if you're in a big giant seven-ton truck and you pull out in, and someone's going to pull out in front of you, in America, you gun it because you're like, I can do it. And at Okinawa, they pull out and putts. Like, oh, I got nothing. If they hit me, whatever. That's island, island life. Yeah. And you, ju- you just, there's no road rage. And I'm like, in Korea, like, stoplights are recommend- recommended. And people will go around 10 cars. Sure. And it's like, it's just more aggressive. And it's just back then, like, when you, the little things, it will make you feel like at home. And it was road rage <laughs> that made me feel yeah, like. They, they were, they were, they were fast paced. But I love Korea, and I got to go see the the DMZ. I imagine you got to see the DMZ being so close there. Yeah, that was that was. Uh, I got to, on my fourth trip. I got to do that. That was uh, every time North Korea makes the news, it always means a little bit different because if you've never been there, right. it uh, makes it if seem you look real. Look in North Korea. There's no trees. Uh, no trees. Even fire. the bus ride there, it's just right. it's much real. And even just you living in Seoul, you'll probably have the same feeling that you realize that like if anything did happen, 10 million people would be dead in the first week. It's only 40 minutes away from the Yeah, it's 40 minutes. You don't even have to cross the border to annihilate Seoul. Right. Yeah, that's why there's where you go to war with North Korea and South Korea is going to be up or Seoul will be up in smoke. Oh, so and that's, yeah, that, that means at least 10 million people there are just gone before the battle even starts moving, right. before even troops are on the ground probably. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be, be serious. It'll be a lot of cash. And you don't realize it until you go there. And it, probably people's soul just probably disconnect from that reality. But once you go to the DMZ and you pair them together. And Koreans, you know, South Koreans don't even think about it. Yeah, it's not I, even I, part I, of their day. America. My wife, you know, I told my wife about North Korea. She, she tells me South Koreans don't, don't obsess over it like Americans do. It's just normal to them for North Korea to be acting crazy all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's a completely different world. And I, 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 yeah, I liked living in or going to South Korea and this is ultimately why I've liked uh, my international travels is because it adds very good depth to your worldview of understanding of like what really it means when there's a headline on there because many Americans assume we have the best worldview but we've very rarely leave the country to actually see the world so it's kind of ironic that people look for us to solve all the problems but in reality 80% of the country actually never leaves to actually observe what the rest of the world is like. 
understanding of the world through their eyes. Yeah, and I feel like that's one thing that military brings as a strength is we have a great depth to the view that we bring to a problem. So when we give you an opinion about something politically or anything, it's generally saturated in many cultures and experiences, and it's not just one-sided Fox News or CNN type of opinion. It's brought with – and I want to try to give that to my kids. I want to go on uh, vacations with my kids overseas and just give them that depth because I feel like so many – kids go out into this world and enter the world they just they really don't have an idea of how the world works yeah. and then we wonder why they can't figure out how to leave the basement <laughs> true good point <clears throat> yeah so when you so being home with kids in the military when you hear the words come home what do those mean to you i'm speaking of my son he's trying to get in right now <laughs> hold on one second, hold on one second. you're fine yeah it's a damn yeah, podcast it's gonna happen Okay. Anyway, I got one right here, but uh, repeat the question real quick. I'm sorry. When you hear the words "come home," what do they mean to you? Come home, like after the military, or come home? Whichever resonates the most. Whatever story, whatever moment, whatever time period. Uh, especially when I was in the military, I was going a lot. I mean, a lot. So coming home is just I always try to to uh, uh, spend the weekends with my kids and go, take them places. One thing I did, one of the biggest changes I made, when I hit 40, I completely uh, abstain from alcohol, uh, because I wanted to enjoy the weekends with my kids. So uh, I haven't had uh, alcohol in four years. It's, uh, Congratulations. That's a big I, one. I, to... I wasn't quite a regular drinker for many, many years. Uh, but my kids and my wife just being with them on the weekends and not being all hung over and just spending my Friday nights, sitting in a room, watching movies, drinking when they're out. So, uh, it was a huge change. It's been the best thing in my life. Uh, and those memories are ones you're never going to regret that you made either. So, no, no. and you can start drinking when they leave the house and start asking for money in college. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when they get college age, I might get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Now you want to be sober. You want to be present. You want to be right. there to make those memories and not f- just feel buzzed and almost right. kind of like, there's probably like a layer. You probably felt like there was a layer between you and your kids that uh, they just felt numb maybe a little bit. Yeah. And as I got older, you know, the hangover to work. So, It'd be yeah. Saturday. My wife wanted to go out. We needed to go out with the kids, and I was going to be like, oh, "No, <laughs> I need to recover from last night. I was drinking whiskey till one in the morning, watching you know movies or doing whatever." Uh, so I finally made a decision to quit. And hitting forty, I don't know how old you are, but once you hit forty, okay, so you got six years. But there is something when you hit forty. I don't know what it is, but you realize that life is going to end at some point. Like at thirty-nine, I didn't think that was. But when I hit forty. You realize life will end. So you start making different decisions. You just, for some reason, if something you've done in your 30s that you, you weren't proud of, you decide at 40, okay, I got to cut that out because I'm going to die someday and I need to start enjoying life, being with your, your kids when they're younger. And uh, it'll happen to you too, probably in the next six years. At 34, I still, I was a wild at 34. I mean, I'm still young. You may not lose my wild days out in Okinawa. And I feel like I've been a little bit more tamer since I, I came yeah. home. Yeah, but when you hit 40, there's just that change. Some clicks in your brain. It's like, man, I'm going to die someday. And it just happens. I mean, it's like called a midlife crisis, I guess. You hit 40, mm-hmm. you're like, crap. I had I a pretty good go. midlife crisis at 30. I re- was reflecting of how lonely I was. I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't like where my life had led me to that point. And I'm happy to say I've completely turned that around. I have multiple friends now. And I couldn't even talk to people. Like, I was just uh, – two years ago, I went through uh, – someone cursed me with a question. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. They cursed me with the question, if you want a result you've never had, then you need to do something you've never done. And for friends was like the core thing for me. And I just never talked to people. 
and uh so talk, figuring out how to talk to strangers and just talk more randomly about random topics and just be, feel comfortable with that was a huge growth for me. I'm glad to say that I'm almost through the, on the other side of that, almost to the point where my drives my wife nuts. But um, I'm happy to say I crushed two neighbor conversations. I introduced myself to two new, two new yeah. neighbors this weekend all in a row, and uh, both of them I felt like I, I came through and I held good, com- good conversation. Well, you're doing well. You got a podcast and you know, getting out there. That's good. Now, I, from my, from, I don't know where I'll be when I'm 40, but where I was when I was 30, I'm, I am almost a completely different person as far as confidence. Decade, I guess you go through it. When you go from 29 to 30, when you go from 39 to 40, and then, you know, heaven forbid when I hit 50, you, know, <laughs> you just have that little moment of reflection, I think, when you change decades. You know? Yeah, and I think there's also some reflection uh, that I work for a company that's based out of the Czech Republic and they taught me an important lesson that they spend almost all of their twenties finding the person they love living life and loving that person for multiple years, almost all of their twenties and they travel internationally. They go on all kinds of vacations and only when they're 30, do they slow down and have kids. And I feel like there's an important lesson to learning in your twenties of being fully connected and loving your life before you move on to the next phase that yeah. Americans don't slow down enough to do. So that's true. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's ultimately why Americans have so many midlife crises is because our 20s were in such a damn hurry to have kids, get married, and we realize of how much life has been sacrificed by the time we get to 40. Yeah, you don't realize how important your 20s are to, like, to enjoy life because, you, yeah. you know, a lot of people look back, you know, 20 years later and like, crap, you know, I'm a 20, I was young, I should have done all these things, so. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure my kids understand that I'm not going to push them, that they I want them to explore. If they don't want to go to college right away, I would rather them figure out how they fit into the world before they invest a whole bunch of time and money in something that they think they should do, just because that's what society says you should do. Right. Yeah. So every podcast, we like to remind dads that kids spell love T-I-M-E. What are some of the simplest things you do with your kids? that they love and want you to do over and over, even though it doesn't cost a lot of money. And you're like, really? That's what you want to keep doing? <laughs> My favorite thing is riding bikes. With them. They love riding their bikes. I and mean, they go out all day riding their bikes. Right now, we live near the ocean. We're five minutes away from the Atlantic Ocean right now. Oh, I'm uh, jealous. I always see pictures of people posting family pictures. Yeah, and I'm just like, I'm going to miss it. Leave. Uh, I love sunsets. And it's I'm a sunset sucker. And I would love to just sit every night in the beach. I would go almost every night in the summer and just watch the sunset. It's wonderful. So I take them down to the beach a lot. We walk down there, and then uh, they go play at the beach. And you know, we do that about every day. Usually at the end of the day before uh, it gets dark, we always head to the beach. Just kind of hang out at the beach, watch the sunsets, and they throw like the rocks into the water. Mm-hmm. Then I shoot Instagram stories of them and post it to social media. <laughs> so yeah. my wife's family, usually I don't do it with my wife's family because she can see them and they can see them in Korea. Mm-hmm. I'll do stories and stuff uh, so her, their Korean family can just watch them. The part that I like about riding bikes is uh, is just the fresh air part. Like uh, one, and I'm not sure what it's like there, and maybe by the ocean, but uh, it's a little bit different. But here, there's just a lot of people that don't go outside. Like we moved to a new subdivision from last year and or last summer, and the old subdivision, like it was all people, the millennials raising families, but people went outside to mow the yard, then they went back inside. It could be the first day of spring, like the first nice, beautiful day after winter. And there's maybe like three people out. And people used to being indoors, I guess, because it's so cold. And, and, and even, but even in the summer, like, it's just a Greek tragedy. Like, uh, people just don't spend a lot of time outside. So I feel like just getting your kids outside and getting them to love being outside is a win on most days at end in Y. 
because as society grows more and more to electronics and inside and to just vegging out on what media wants you to keep watching, having that intrinsic motivator inside or even just connecting it to the memory of like probably when your kids are older, they will want to go ride a bike because it reminds them of dad. Right. Long past your your time on this earth, like yeah. they'll probably focus on that memory as a core way to connect with you. Yeah, yeah. And as you mentioned, electronics it gets them off their electronics because young people are hooked on that stuff. My son is he's like he is on his iPad right now. I'm oldest, that's why he doesn't come in here. A four year old still too young, so he wants to get daddy's attention. Mm-hmm. The eight year old right now is on the side of his door, sitting on his iPad, playing video games. So get, mm-hmm. taking them outside just gets them off the device. I and mean, that's the only way to do it. Just say, yeah. Let's go out. We're going out right now. Yeah, have fun. And it's never complicated. You just need to be moving. Lots mm-hmm. of times I feel like as dads, we, we could sit a whole day trying to figure out what to do. And right. reality is you just need to do it. Like earlier today, we went to – there's a park we have to drive by on the way to drop off my daughter at school. And every day they're asking about – they call it the digging park because there's a digger and excavator there. And, can we go to the digging park? Can we go to the digging park? And that's all we did today. And it was, they was, they absolutely loved it. And yep. no, parks are always fun. Yeah. yeah. And so many parks are empty. Like I feel like those are a great tragedy. Like everybody, the cities invest so much money to keep them nice and looking good. And it's yeah, just they're free. kids just don't. And it's ultimately comes down to the parents. Like oh, so many problems in America could relate back to the parenting crisis and just getting your kids out. Like your kids aren't going to go to the park by themselves because they want to spend time with you. And, it takes intentional effort to, to be there and to make sure you yeah. prioritize that. Yeah, get them up and get them out. Because there's going to be a day where they're going to want the keys to your car instead of going to the park. And I know, that's going to be stressful. It's <laughs> going to be too late. Yeah. And you'll be yeah. like, can we just go to the park? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're too old, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true. So when you transitioned out, what were some of the challenges that uh, got in your way for just uh, mentally being a dad? What types of things were you facing? Uh, yeah, I'm old fashioned. So just being a breadwinner is uh, uh, something that was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Out and not having a job to go to every day, uh, morally that, that that hurt me a lot. Um, so, but it gave me a chance to spend more time with him. So it kind of was a catch twenty two because I got out and luckily uh, with my pension, and then I started going to taking some college classes for the GI Bill. I didn't really need money. I was making decent money just off the GI Bill and my pension. Yeah, it's almost like taking a second job when you have the housing step stipend. Right, right. So uh, uh, it gave me time to spend with them. And that first year I was out, we were living down in Georgia, in town, Georgia. Uh, and uh, it, I spent a lot of time with them. It was great. But finally, after a year, I was like, I got to go work. And I couldn't get jobs in Georgia. So uh, I ended up taking a job up here for the Navy, right off the coast, because, you know, as I mentioned, we're by the ocean, so there's a Navy base right down the road. And they needed a contractor for IT. So I started learning IT and uh, passed the Security Plus, and uh, that's how I got my job. And we moved up here. But the first year was actually, the, as much as I complained about it, was probably the best year that I had had in years. And I'm sure I, in, in the thick of things, it was uh, you were just punching yourself in the face daily for not being the the provider, the making sure your family is safe and secure. Uh, but even when I did this podcast, I, I, I have ambitions to turn it into a business and to be almost a stay-at-home dad. Like this podcast facilitates me to be a stay-at-home dad because I've framed it in my head that when I'm 50, looking back, I will never regret that I spent more time reading work emails at a corporate office right. and spending those five years with my kids. It never comes back. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you are, but 
I, you know, I went to work a job in IT and I was going to an office every day again. You know, uh, uh, it, I missed the time that I had with my kids. So uh, yeah, you can feel, and even now more like I feel as I started this podcast, like my heart is pulling more and more that every day I would just want to be a dad more than anything. Right. Yeah. That well, I like the purpose. I like having drive and being within an organization that's trying to do something. At the end of the day, it just doesn't mean as much as being dad does. Yeah, time flies. You know, they're going to grow up. And then when they grow up, you'll have time to go do work, do whatever you want to do. Uh, mm -hmm. But times that they're young, especially when they want to still hang out with their parents, which is under the age of 14. Yep. Even at 13, they start one. You can be with their friends more. Uh, you miss the days when they were five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, those ages where you can go out and play with them, uh, have fun with them. They actually want to be with their parents at that time. Yeah. You know, my son right now is four. He doesn't want to leave me. He's sitting right here. Where whatever room I'm in, <laughs> he wants to be. And that's not gonna last forever. Yeah. And so many veterans get hung up on trying to if you were having maybe the hero complex coming out of the military, you can get hung up on trying to replace that. But every day you walk into that house, your kids look up to you like you're Superman on yeah. your worst days, whether you beat yourself up whether you didn't get everything accomplished you really have to f up to not be the hero in their eyes and we often forget that that we don't ever we, we go searching for a lot of different things and when we transition when reality if we have a family a lot of what we need is right there in front of us correct our, our mutual friend kirby he introduced and we talked about heavily now since that episode about legacy that I'm, i've been working on this theory that Many veterans, when they transition out, we get hung up on trying to figure out what our service meant yeah. and what it and why we did it, especially if you lost someone. If, well, like why he died and why I survived and what did that all mean? And in reality, it's all done. You were just a number. You served. You did the most noble thing that you can do, which is serving your country. Yeah. Nothing you ever do will probably live up to that service. But at the same time, switching it off and switching to the next service, which is your family, which is really where you have the best best ability to impact your family. I was listening to a podcast this morning with uh, Andy Stumpf and Dakota Meyer. And Andy Stumpf put this brilliantly. And I haven't heard this. I even interviewed him. He didn't say it on the podcast. So, But this was awesome. He says, when you're in the military, the effectiveness of what you're capable is just how far your, your rifle can fire. When you're in a dad, the effectiveness of how far you can go is unlimited based on the amount of potential you instill in your kids. Because you can make generational type impacts on your kids. You'll never know it, but you have the ability to go so much farther with your family from yeah. a point of impact versus anything that your M16 was ever capable of. Yeah. And I just thought that I was like, man, you just nailed it right there. Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant point. Yeah. And I mean, think how many veterans just get hung up on trying to, to live up to what they did in the military when in reality – their kids, their wife, everybody is just waiting for them to come home. Yep. Yep. It's great. When you think about your kids, what's something you hope they say about you if they're talking at a bar with their kids when they're 30? Well, my dad was always there, there for me. Uh, he instilled confidence in me. That's the most important thing is your self-confidence. Uh, you mentioned some of your issues. I, I was the same way. For 20 years, I battled insecurities. And again, mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was 40 that I was like, I don't give a crap what people think anymore. Yeah. But uh, 
I don't want them to be that way because I made bad decisions based on my insecurities and I don't want them to do that. So that's the most important thing to me. They can just say, he, he told me to be self-confident, believe in myself. I know I would have done my job. Mm-hmm. And I think even as you as they get older and you probably share your story with uh, with alcohol, they'll yeah. look up to you more that even when it was hard, dad made the right choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I quit drinking. My four-year-old was one, so he'll have no memory of it. But my oldest, he was old enough to see me during my drinking days. And, and uh, I mean, I never abused him or did anything crazy, but I know that I would go into rooms and shut the door and just completely shut off by 9 p.m. That was my drinking time. Mm-hmm. You know, I go drink. So one or two, so whenever I was buzzed enough that I wanted to stop, then the next morning I was waking up and not wanting to do a damn thing but sit on the couch and just lie there and just nurse my hangover. Uh, was it a single day where you made the switch, or was it like slowly, day by day, you just well, kind of worked your way back from it? They, they gave me medication for my back when I first came out, that uh, you weren't allowed to consume alcohol. And uh, so I never messed with medication alcohol, even when my heavily drinking days. But medication that don't drink, I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to die. Yeah. Uh, so once I got off the medication, I had gone about two weeks without drinking because I'd been on the medication for a couple of weeks. So I decided, what the hell? Two weeks, no drinking, might as well just not do it anymore. And that's how I stopped. It wasn't like a long-term decision where I just sat one day like, okay, on this date, I'm going to stop. It's just the medication actually helped get me off because I wasn't allowed to drink while I was on the medication. Was that the first time you tried? I had tried before and, you know, that's the thing my wife always would hit me up on because Sunday through Thursday, I never drank alcohol because I, I would never mess with the army. Like I never want to be hung over and be some reek of alcohol. So Sunday through Thursday, I would never drink. But on Friday, Saturday, I'd drink a bottle easily. And my wife one time said to me, she was like, you care more about the army, not screwing up with the army than you do about your family. And that's yeah, you're when more scared of them than you are of what you're losing here. Right. And that's, that's when it hit me. Like I got to get off this stuff. So that the medication and being 40 and all that stuff combined, it was just like, I'm done. It's been the best decision. I mean, I wake up in the morning feeling good. I often think about uh, when boot camp, like you can't smoke, you can't drink. And like they give you essentially a gift if you're a smoker. They completely wean you off of it. Pretty, I think by the end of, especially Marine Corps boot camp for 13 weeks, you'd be pretty much off of it. Maybe you're you're connected to the moments where you want to smoke, but the nicotine is completely out of your system. Yeah. And the moment they walk off that base, poof, they'll light it up. I'm like... <laughs> you just took away the the hardest thing that is what most ha- smokers have to deal with, and it was just gifted to you, yep. and you just threw it in the military's face. Uh, no, and smoking's just as bad. I mean, smoking just tears up your body. I quit. Even dipping, like it's all part of the same family of addiction, and it's like both of them are gone. Oh. And I'm lucky. I, I, there's a few maybe weak moments where I almost started trying smoking because uh, when you're bored, lots of things seem useful. Yep. Luckily, I never did, and uh, I'm glad I didn't because a couple of them did start when they were bored for the first time, and then they became addicted. And because yeah. then the stresses get you, and then your brain starts telling you that you need to smoke to relieve the stress, and then it's right. never-ending loop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you get off of that stuff and get off of any addictive product, and you're off of it, just stay off. It's just that stuff's addictive: smoking, booze, and all. That. I mean, that What's stuff the biggest change you'd see in your marriage since you quit drinking? Oh, me and wife are all much better. And even our arguments are that we're over them faster. It's just because the argument, you know, when you drink and you argue with somebody, you say things that you never would say. So, yeah. So now that when I argue with my wife, I know there's a limit. There's like, I'm not going to 
say anything that I'm going to have to spend two weeks apologizing to her yeah. for. Yeah, the filter's still on, and you're still pre-filtering and processing the, fil- the word. The filter's on. Yeah, I'm not going to tell her, go go back to Korea. Or, and I told her that when I was drunk sometimes. Go back to Korea. I mean, I was bad, but I would never say that. Now, now it's just like uh, we make it a little argument, say a few words, but I know there's a limit to what I can say and not just break her heart. And I would mm-hmm. never say anything to break her heart now. And so when we have an argument, we're over it in like two or three hours. It's like you know, one of those things we go sit, go sit in our corners and then two or three hours later, we're talking again. It's like, yeah, you realize you can quickly come back to center right. when you're not uh, waiting for the hangover to pass to even remember right. what right. you and said. The kids, the kids are happier. I can tell my, especially my oldest son, uh, he's so much happier because me and uh, his mom get along or, and I'm not drunk. I mean, I'm, I'm engaged in daily activities. And the part with your kids, I can imagine that just modeling that behavior now, like I'm convinced when they go into their crazy tantrums and they go off, like those are all indicators of a complete deficit somewhere else in their life. Right. That you're now able to help fill in their same kind of principle with the love languages. Like you can fill their love tank more easily now and whenever they're screaming kicking like to me i always use those as indicators that there's something in the opposite side that they're not talking about that's really right. the core problem yeah yeah and yeah kids are right my dad a lot of times the problem at home it's just you know and it's so important because my son especially my oldest now will repeat things that i say one time i was saying uh get your little ass off the ipad as a joke and i just made made it as a joke the next day he said that word and so I realized I got to be careful what I say because they're hearing everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, even if I make a little joke and I say a curse word just in the front of the joke, he picks it up right away, like within that second, and he'll start saying the exact same words that I said. Mm-hmm. So got to be really careful because they hear everything and they repeat everything and they want to emulate their parents. It's amazing how it, our, it's almost like our kids are put on this earth to point out all of our flaws. Right. Like whatever gaps in your, you can have a 90% personality where just like you're cheery and, and happy. They'll yeah. figure out that 10% and mirror it back to you. And you're like, how dare you find, I'm, I'm at 90%. How dare you find that last 10% I haven't got under control yet. Especially sons, they look up to their dad. And they'll find every button, even if you've got it under five firewalls. Yeah. And <laughs> it's amazing how like a lot of times we, what irritates you about your kids is really just a reflection of you. Yeah, so yeah. I know that I got to choose my words. I can't say any cuss words because they'll hear it and they'll think it's okay to say that. They'll go to school and say it. What kind of things are your oldest son involved in? Uh, well, he, he's really smart. You know, he's eight now, so he's reading, reading. He's real good at math. He's just about to finish second grade. Uh, so, and honestly, he's a computer whiz. I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old-fashioned, so I think he shouldn't be on the computer as much. This guy's going to be a – he's going to be a computer programmer. I can see it already. He comes and fixes my stuff. I mean, he's eight years old. And he can handle electronics like it's a piece of cake. I'm very, very smart. Um, so, yeah, he loves technology. Uh, my four-year-old, you know, he likes to be on a bike and run around. Circle. He's the adventurer. Adventurer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a book uh, by John Eldridge called uh, Wild at Heart. And I, I like the book because it talks about how there's always a burning desire in men's heart to – to have adventure and to be seeking new challenges and very much of 2019 society is about patterns, not adventures, not new things. I feel like a lot of the crisis with masculinity and just men in general in our American society 
is men aren't meant to live in patterns. We're meant to to live on the edge, adventure, seek new things to challenge us and and also to to do life together. Like very much of today's society is very lonely. Most men don't have quality friends that they can talk to. Their yeah. emotions aren't something they're supposed to feel. Right. And my son, I only have one boy, so my son's four, and I've and he's an emotional kid. So I often work through just trying to help him manage his emotions, but then also just using the word adventure. I probably use that word 15 times a week. And it's usually with the simple things, like even going for a bike ride, I would say like, hey, you want to go on an adventure? And I just want them to connect with excitement of doing the simple things and just getting out there because they'll often just be like, I want to go on a daddy, we want to go on another adventure. And yeah. I feel like there's a making sure men and boys understand what that uh, feeling is helps them identify how to define significance in their own life. Because it is those challenges that uh, is where we feel the most fulfilled, but they're often new ones. They're not running to target every weekend for the same set of things that I don't need. But that's exactly what society says we should be doing because by staying in patterns, we're good consumers. Yeah. That doesn't make successful people or happy people. Right. Good, good points. You're definitely a deep thinker about all that. It's a curse and a blessing. There's many things. There's many things I overthink to death. Uh, even with this podcast, I can't tell you. Even the name I overthought based on the name of the military veteran dead. Yeah, you're right, though. I mean, those are good points. The, and especially when the kids are young, the one lesson I've learned is adventure isn't complicated. Adventure is just whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. it and there's, we go for walks around the subdivision, and they're the most boring walks ever to an adult but I call them an adventure and we'll go over a dry, a gravel driveway. And I'd be like, Hey Dylan, we're going over the land of small rocks. Yeah. That's so much fun. Just take a walk. And it, it's, they got excited about going over a gravel driveway. Cause I got excited with them. Like, yeah, they repeat and feel back whatever it is that you're feeling with them. Right. Especially at that young age, they are just looking for someone to help label what they're feeling inside, mm-hmm. which is a feeling of adventure. They like that idea of seeing new things and exploring it's why boys, I think, like to dig because it's just it's something new and they're trying to find something. My mm-hmm. son's a huge digger. He's always trying to dig stuff. Boys love dirt. My man. <laughs> I haven't quite maybe put my finger on what is – maybe it's just – maybe it goes back to the tribal days from yeah. 3,000 years ago of of something connected with farming maybe. and But there is something about dirt, shovels, and boys. Yeah, you want to entertain them for a couple of hours. Dirt. We can sit in the lounge chair, just wash them, find a pile of dirt, and they'll go to town. Like we spent the last few days uh, building a garden in our backyard and we were hauling out the grass and we were digging down and my son was just as happy as a, kid, a four-year-old could be. Like he was helping dig and everybody was out there helping. My youngest daughter was out there helping in the, in the dirt and it was just building a garden. It wasn't even a big garden, but nevertheless, we did it as a family and they absolutely loved it. He's already wanted to big, dig another garden. I'm like, no, we got enough garden now. <laughs> so They're digging. They love to dig. They love to dig, yeah. What's some advice that you would give to a dad looking to come home to their marriage? From your wisdom, oh, of your, maybe even while serving, like if you think about your, your looking back on your service, what's some advice you want to give to a dad maybe struggling to connect with their spouse? The keys that I, I've had to learn is listen and remember that words matter. Like one thing that – before I met my wife, I had not dated. I was you know, very shy and insecure, so I was not a guy that was around women a lot until I met my wife in Korea. Uh, and, and, then, and then we got married within a year after meeting each other. Actually, it was two years, but I had an appointment. But anyway, 
Uh, women and men just, we operate different. And the way we view situations are so, so different. And if you don't take into account when your wife is stressed and you, you don't listen to when she is stressed, there's going to be a breakdown of communication because you know, we want to solve the issue, the problems. When they're stressed, they just want to vent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had to learn to be a better listener, uh, especially as I've aged. And now I've, I've got all addictions out of my life now. Uh, I'm able to connect with my wife you know, so much different, differently. And when you come home after a long deployment, the, a, a, lot of, a lot of veterans are active duty. They think that their wife, or it could be vice versa, because the husband, you know, wives do deploy, women do deploy also. Uh, but they think that they should only focus on what their situation was during their deployment and not on what their situation was at home. And mm-hmm. that's where breakdowns happen. That's why you'll see divorces in a year or two after coming home from a deployment, because there's a breakdown in communication. Whoever's left behind, especially with kids, is struggling to take care of kids, is struggling to do the day to day operations of running the household. Uh, uh, so that's got to be taken into account too. Uh, uh, and, you know, just listening is just so, so important in any relationship. Uh, it took me, me and my wife have been married almost 10 years. The first five years of our marriage, I did not listen. I, I just didn't know how to be around women. Uh, it, it took me to five years that I finally realized that I'm doing things wrong and I have to change. And if you're not willing to change and make those changes to relate to your partner better, it's just not going to work out in the long run. Marriage is long. If you, if you, you're supposed to get married for life. You know, I know the divorce rate's high and people are getting divorces, but when you get married, you're really supposed to do it for life. That mm-hmm. means you have to adjust your behavior to make the marriage work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean just, okay, her behavior is bad. Well, it's just divorce, like a lot of people do. Or, I don't like her behavior. If you're not adjusting your behavior at all and you only want her to adjust to you, then it's just unworkable marriage. You just can't, can't survive that way. So that's my... A soapbox on, on marriage life after almost 10 years. <laughs> I like that. And you, you hit on something we talk about a lot that uh, when someone deploys, and I never had the chance to deploy with family. I didn't have family till after, but I, I saw it very often. And dads were always sharing it on the podcast that you can't come home and make it about you. You right. really have to come home and make it about them and right. really understand what it was like while you were gone. Because they learned to live life without you under hard terms in some cases, and maybe days are probably heavy. And while you, what you did was heroic and valent and maybe even horrible, maybe you you were in part some of the bloody battle, but from the perspective of your family, it really doesn't matter that you really need to come home all the way to the point wherever your family's at, not where you're at, but meet them at whatever stage they are at, because maybe they're ahead of you and you need to go to where they're at, not pull them to where you're at and just kind of, uh, approach it with curiosity to try to understand what life was like. Right. And I and think that, that will allow you to empathize with right. their world. Right. And whenever you can empathize, you can, ex- you can extrapolate and extend trust and empathy and just be able to connect more emotionally to someone when they, right. when you understand what, where they are at physically. Yeah. That's what you see too often with veterans. Veterans come home with PTSD because they were deployed. And then they don't want to get help for their PTSD, but they want their spouse to always understand them that they have PTSD. And if you're not willing to get help and you're always complaining about your PTSD, eventually that partner is going to have enough. It's just normal. If you do two years of that and you got somebody always wanting, not wanting to work, drinking themselves to death, always complaining about PTSD and won't get help. And then they get mad because their spouse eventually leaves. 
And then mm-hmm. they're on social media, like I see all the time, complaining that their wife left them and they got PTSD. But yeah, for two years, they've heard you whining about you haven't done the darn thing to help yourself. A spouse is not going to sit around while you, while you wallow in self-pity for years. It's just, it's just people can't live like that. People want to be happy in their own lives, too. Yeah, they want to thrive and they want to grow forward together. Right. And often I've used this advice for my own life and I've given it to others that when you feel maybe stuck in your marriage, the one thing you only have control over is you. So at the end of the day, no matter what is, unless you're ready to give up, the only thing you can do is move yourself forward and work on you. So, and there's always a piece of advice that someone's given you about you that you haven't implemented that you can do. I was hearing a podcast the other day and he was talking about people need to own up and recognize and start dealing with the crap in their life. And he's like, if you're complaining about your life and your car's messy, stop complaining about your life and clean up your car. That's that's exactly right. Because it's a very small step, but that represents some of your mind and getting in your car makes you feel overwhelmed. Like you can do a lot of little things that can help you feel a little bit better that don't actually have anything to do with your marriage. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with venting occasionally, but if your venting becomes a lifestyle, that's when it's a problem. Yeah. You can vent, okay, you're upset one day, but if that becomes your lifestyle, then other people are going to respond to that too. They're going to be like, I don't want to be around this person who's complaining, angry all the time. Uh, they're going to end up pick packing up and going to a place that is going to make them happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why a lot of times you have to break down these marriages. You get married a few years in. And some of them are normal. I mean, some of them, they got married too quick. But a lot mm-hmm. of them is because they just had a breakdown. Just one partner decided, I've had enough. I've had enough of the complaining and the whining and the self-pity. And then at that point, then your legacy starts to diminish because you lose the ability to make the bigger impact. You're, you're still right. going to be dad and you st- your kids are still yours, but yeah. you're not there daily with right. their life. And, and then if you wake up too late to realize your legacy is your kids, you're going to be able to be like, I had the opportunity of a lifetime to yeah. shape my legacy. And now it's, it's in the rear view mirror. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, communication is what it's all about. Failure to communicate. As we start to wrap up this interview, James, what's a parting piece of advice you want to leave for dad? If you could wrap all of your wisdom of your kid, your eight years of kids and 10 years of marriage, you gave communication. I'll challenge you to, to go one level deeper and go somewhere else. What's a piece of advice you want to, to leave with dads? Just my biggest piece of advice is be there for them. Uh, make set up time. You know, if you're off on the weekends and you got, you're married and you got young kids. That weekend really shouldn't be self-involved. Unless you may want to call right an hour or two in the evening or whatever, hang out with the guys or whatever. But that weekend should be, this is family time. Uh, uh, be empathetic. Uh, enjoy spending time with, with them. Be positive. Uh, don't uh, get hooked on addictions that are going to take you away from doing what you got to do for your family. That's the most important thing. When, you're, when your kids get old and they're in college or whatever, you're going to have more free time and then you can explore more self-involved stuff. Hopefully not addictions, but you can, you can be more self-involved, take vacations just with your, your, your spouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while they're young, your life should be devoted to raising them. You know, let, let them go off to college before you start becoming self-centered. Again. Mm-hmm. And, and that's often remind my uh, dad's uh, don't forget about your spouse because your kids will, uh, your kids will betray you. And you're right. left with your spouse at the end of that. And you get older, you don't want to be alone. So <laughs> yeah. that's why I, I want my wife to be with me until the day I die. 
So I, I, I make sure that I treat her as somebody that's going to be in my life for the rest of my life. Yeah, and, it's, a, uh, it's a forever game, not a 20-year game like your kids is, or right. hopefully a 20-year game, not Yeah, the best thing to do is when the kids go off to college and start taking vacations together you know, yeah. with your spouse and traveling to Europe or traveling around the U.S. and just uh, spending quality time after raising the kids. Uh, that's the best thing to do. And me and my wife have been uh, doing it more in the last two years of just going to like downtown Chicago for a night or yeah. her birthday. We went for two nights and you can find ways. Um, it's a little bit trickier if you're in a military, maybe you don't have a support network around you, but there's ways to, to figure it out if you really want to try. And um, it can be, it can happen even when you have the kids, you just need to intentionally plan it and, and budget for it. And one thing that's really changed it for us is last summer we killed all of our debt. So now, we have a lot more freedom with our choices to not feel like we're adding to the overall stress to the mirror by going on a vacation. So I'm looking forward to this summer. We're uh, using our newfound debt freedom to go to Fort Myers, Florida for a week. We rented a condo on the beach. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm plan we're planning on just beaching it the whole week. We're not going to do yeah. maybe one or two yeah. things we'll get, we'll do uh, out there, but overall yeah, we're just going to beach and That's what I want to do too. <laughs> if I live in Wisconsin, I'd be like, I got to hit the beach. And there's yeah, a lot of fear I'm going to have to work through because they have kids have never been on an airplane. They've never been in an airport. Uh, they've, we've never really had this far of a vacation, uh, but it'll be fun at the same time and we'll survive on the other side, no matter what happens. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, James, I really appreciate this conversation. And I, I think the, your story of opening up about your connection to alcohol and how it's changed your life will definitely, hopefully bring a few dads home when they hear that. Maybe they'll, snap out of it or start to recognize the decisions that they maybe need to make there in their life. And uh, Absolutely. so important, yeah. so important, get off that stuff. And if we can save one dad from waking up and make change in legacy, you never know where that legacy is going to lead. Right. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. Though. Great, uh, great interview. Thank you. Thank you, James. And uh, you have a rest of good rest of your day. Great. Thanks. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.